0: Hi, I'm Lydia Lunning. I'm Morgan McBride. And I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to, Hey, I Want Your Job. A look behind the curtain at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Good morning, Uh, and this is Hey, I Want Your Job. Today we're gonna be talking to Giles Hampson, who has very kindly agreed to join us despite a busy work schedule, working for EY, doing all kinds of fun stuff that we will hear more about in just a minute. I'm Michelle Olivier um, with ONH Consulting, and we are here to find all about Giles's job, how to get that job, and what he looks forward when he is hiring other people. So let's start with the easy stuff. Hey, Jai, how are you?
1: I'm good. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you doing?
0: Great, thank you. Um, can we just start off with the really easy stuff and mm-hmm. tell us um, who you are and what your job yeah. title is?
1: Well, so I'm Giles Hammerson And as you previously said, I work for EY or Ernst & Young, as they used to be called. Um, I work in the global IT area, uh, mm-hmm. internal IT, you could you could call it that way. And then my rank is an assistant director, and my job title is uh customer success product manager.
0: Oh, that is a big title. It says <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> I know nothing more about what you do before you answer the question, which is kind of what I suspected. So. Tell us, what do you do?
1: Okay, yes. So, so I specialise in a certain technology. Uh, that's uh, SharePoint um, and Office three six five. Okay. Um. So I'm actually work. I actually work on the SharePoint online platform team, and we own the platform for the company, mm-hmm. and make the appropriate configuration changes, guidance, and things like that. And I guess the best way to describe it would be is I'm there to evangelize the platform. I'm there to make sure that the 300,000 people that we've got in our company, when they're trying to do uh, projects, they're trying to do their teamwork, their collaboration, it can be tiny projects all the way through to revenue-making products that they sell to clients, and they all host it on our platform, Um, and this is internationally. So, I have a couple of people that work for me uh, dotted around the world. Um, and um, we essentially work as consultants for those projects, for those teams.
0: So that was a great high level direct, uh, description. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Like day okay. in the NY, basic week in a life. What do you? doing? Are you coding things in SharePoint? Are you writing scripts? Are you writing white papers? Are you in fancy high-level executive board meetings determining (laughs) the fate of the universe? What are you doing?
1: Sure. So I guess the best way to think about it is the SharePoint online platform team has multiple different roles. I'm more the customer-facing kind of role along with my, my team of people behind me.
0: Ah, oh, you're the charm guy then.
1: Uh, maybe. <laughs> so, um, and I guess the best way to think about it would be in terms of my day. So we offer guidance appointments mm-hmm. um, so that teams can come to us through our intake process to tell us what they're trying to do. And then from a background perspective, you know, myself, I've got like 20 years almost of a uh, experience. My... My colleagues have a similar level of experience as well. And uh, so we talk about is what they're trying to do feasible with the idea being, does it work with the capabilities of the product? And it's not just SharePoint, it's the related products around Office 365. So we look at it from a technology perspective in terms of capability but we also look at it from a you know we guide them as to when they should go and speak to data compliance when they should go and speak to information security based on the type of data they're being there's been stored where they are in the world because we offer different services in different countries sure. and we uh so and, you you know we've got to be wary of that
0: do you provide sort of signposting and and direction as well as sort of basic basic you know Is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? And how do we make it happen?
1: That's right. But however, just just to add to that then is, um, so we offer these appointments, but there's a lot of people in our company and we can't, there's only three of us in my team, doing the customer facing piece, right? So to augment the fact that people can come and speak to us directly, we run a number of websites. So we run uh, communication platforms, you could argue. Um, so we have like a knowledge base called, called the customer success site where we write factual information about our product um, in an EY context. We have a blog which we encourage others around the company to write about their experiences, good and bad, um, about it as well, and people comment and there's a community around that. Um, we then run an internal podcast where we, again, from a subjective view, we talk about that side of things too. And then we also run a webcast series where we have kind of more formal presentations. Um, And then obviously we make those things available online, and that's how we kind of try and support everybody. So yes, sometimes my day does involve coding now and again, but not a lot. It's more about, I'm essentially free to determine how I communicate out so sometimes it's speaking to people directly sometimes it's speaking to the members of my team about the roadmap and direction where i bring the customers perspective to the rest of my team so when they're determining what they're trying to do for budget for next year projects and maybe steering of current projects and things like that then i can bring what the customers are coming to me with to help shape how they're changing the product so it's a bit it's a bit strategic it's a bit sure. customer facing. You could argue it's sometimes it's just basic support, all the way down to will this product work and helping the projects, the larger revenue-making projects like in tax and things like that to work uh, well on the platform.
0: I think that as you, my experience is that as your job gets higher and higher, really what that kind of translates to is less and less defined and more and more inclusive of. A number of different things and kind of because you're approaching any given position at any given whatever the executive or director level is Mm -hmm. that you're looking at not only the thing that you were hired to oversee, but also the overall business implications, internal, external customers, all of that. And it sounds like that's in a lot of ways true for you that you have a thousand different things that are all make up. Kind of what you do, trying to drive this overall agenda with the SharePoint. That's right. So one of the the questions that we have gotten, not just for you, but that we consistently get, um, and I'm going to let you choose how you answer this. Uh, sure. is, uh, how much do you make? <laughs> you don't have to give us a number, but how do you how do you answer that question?
1: Okay, so uh, I won't tell you a number um, because. I'm sure you, I would not like that. But um, (laughs) uh, so I do well. And I I guess what I would say is that I I, I earn what I consider to be market rate. And Um, how do you determine that, right?
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) So market rate is very dependent on location around the world, it's very dependent on, you know, I'm here in Austin, Texas. So there's other people doing similar jobs to me at a similar rank that may in Florida, and I'll probably get a different salary to myself because the company determines based on you know, states and, and averages for that job title in there as well. So to determine whether to get right in my head that I'm being paid appropriately, I guess is probably the best way to put it, um, is I use a number of methods personally. I, I look at Glassdoor. Um, where they you can then see ads and, and kind of feedback from people, which does specify salary ranges and things like that. And that includes area and ranks and, and things like that, and associated companies. Um, LinkedIn does similar kind of analysis, and you can go onto there, and you can essentially ask the question there too. And then, you know, throughout my career, I've got to know a number of recruiters and things like that. And um, one particular, Nigel Frank. They um, uh, they do a survey every year, which I participate in, and I then get the results. And you know, through that, you know, here in the US, where they don't tend to advertise salaries, um, I get a feeling of am I being paid appropriately?
0: Okay, all right, very fair, very thorough. Thank you for that. Like I Mm -hmm. said. It's one of the, you must get asked anytime you're talking to people about what you do. It's a, a normal question, I think, for sure. people, especially talking to folks in aspirational kind of roles. Um, so the next question, how did you get to be you? How did you get there? Okay. I think that specifically, um, when I do career coaching and I talk to folks about setting direction and that sort of thing, I I tend to think that there are... In any given career, there are a handful of uh, inflection points where like, ah, now that this has happened, this, there, there, that set off the domino effect to get me here. Where would you define those inflection points that got you to, to be where you are?
1: Sure. So I think first off, I, I wouldn't, if you asked me five years ago, would I be customer success evangelism type thing? I would say no. that wasn't my direction you kind of evolve into these positions and then make it your own as you you go especially as you go higher up you make these things as you're your own um now i can i guess i can think of three kind of pivotal points um you know starting off when i was very young my parents very much believed in technology so back in the uk when i lived there there were these computers called Zenit spectrums and I cannot remember a time not having one so having some kind of computer so I've always been interested in that kind of thing. Um, So the second part is I was was coming out of university looking for a job as a graduate and probably arrogantly you could say say I'm not going to do IT support. And, oh, okay. and um, because I, I felt like that that was taking me down a train of thought that I didn't want to go into. Okay, um, and then brave, one of the,
0: very brave.
1: Well, uh, You know, you could, very arrogant, right? You come out of university also, with all this kind arrogant. of, yes. <laughs> you know, they pump you up to be those, the, those people, right? And to be confident yeah. in what you're doing. But the reality is you don't have much work experience in the field that you studied in. So, you know. So I came out saying I don't want to do IT support. It's thousands of those
0: guys and a thousand times been like, friends, you started support. That's where everybody starts. So I am, I'm very
1: impressed. I'm okay. actually, I support people now. So, <laughs> so um, and then you know the other kind of thing that was happening at the time, and this is kind of around 2002, is a lot of people with those kind of business IT degrees like I have. Uh, we're going into IT recruitment. And I wasn't going to do that either. So I wanted system analysis where I could do a little bit of business, a little bit of technical stuff. And that was kind of where my mindset was. So I actually stayed working as a salesman at Gatwick Airport for, let's see, I, probably about six, nine, four to six months. I probably interviewed for about 70 or at least I applied for over 100, I guess. I probably interviewed about 20 times, some with large companies, some with small companies. And eventually I got a bite with a, a life insurance company based in Southampton called Scandia, uh, Scandia Life. And um, they wanted to sit an analysis. Now, I was living like 80 miles away. And again, arrogant Giles, that's the job I want. I'm going to travel. If it works well, then I'll move. Yeah. Right, so for six months to a year i traveled 80 miles each way to my job completely financially corrupted myself <laughs> and crippled it crippled myself doing it but do you know what i got the experience that i was looking for um and then that helped me get other jobs and then probably the next and the last main one that's really set me off in my current career is the job after Scandia was a facilities company called Rentecul Initial, and I was working as a technical researcher, technical developer there in Linux. And then I had some recruiter friends and and people that I I'd been speaking to, and um, uh, they said there was a good opportunity for my skill set in terms of the ability to speak to people yet still be deeply technical mm-hmm. at Microsoft. The problem was I didn't know Microsoft stuff, because I was entirely a Linux based person, Um, so. They managed to convince these people at Microsoft to at least speak to me. They I got in front of them and they said we love the guy. He just doesn't know the Microsoft technology. We don't need to hire someone just yet. If he can do these courses under my own steam, right? And then get these qualifications to prove that I can do the technology. We'll speak to him again. It was like a four six month process there's probably about 10 interviews overall in terms of discussions and, and things like that and i eventually landed the job at microsoft and from that point on i learned my current technology specialism which is sharepoint uh that was sharepoint 2003 at the time and when i left microsoft i i joined the microsoft partner network and various consultancies and things like that and um
0: and now here you are the rest is history
1: uh, yeah like you if you look at my resume you'll see consultancy 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 with various versions of sharepoint in some form uh sometimes i'm just the consultant sometimes i'm the principal consultant um uh then you know i emigrated over to the us still with a consultancy and then you know as i'm starting to get a bit older in my career i've gone into Away from consultancy. Yeah, sure. less, less. Slow less, down. Less <laughs> and staying at home with the kids and things like that.
0: All right. You know, I think my favorite part of your story is that uh, the recruiters are a hero. Like so often <laughs> recruiters <laughs> are the, the bad guys in the story. And as a, you know, 20 plus year recruitment veteran, I appreciate a story where we get to be the good guys because I, I think that that often does not get highlighted so thank
1: you i love that that was great you know what? It, I, some recruiters <laughs> were very good and you know they, they just want to have a conversation with you like they, they play that long-term game yeah you know, clearly yeah with the idea that you know you'll contact them when you're looking and i absolutely did this guy called daniel um and um you know i essentially worked with him either my, for myself or for when i was hiring like I would then, be, he would become my person. I would go to a go to Daniel based out of South London.
0: So. so let's let's talk about then you're at a stage now where you are a hiring manager. So let's talk about that. You on, on the other side sure. of the desk there. Um, so the first thing I always like when I am, am talking to a hiring manager is I've been in recruitment a long time. I've done tens of thousands of interviews um, I, everybody's got a horror story or a three. Yep. Um, I love stop swapping war stories. So uh, give me, give me a a hiring and interviewing horror story, um, either that that you did or that um, that you got <coughs> to experience on the other side of the desk.
1: I, I don't know that I have kind of oh my god horror stories, but. <laughs> um, uh, certainly when, you know, when you've been working in a particular technology for a number of years, and now I work for a company with a level of scale that most companies don't deal with, right? Um, uh, you, you learn to respect that people need to be able to work stuff out. Mm-hmm. But the horror story side is when people come into those interviews claiming they know everything,
0: Ah, yes i'm an and, expert in all of the technologies i love even those and
1: even when when you know you, you know you're in a panel like three interviewers or two interviewers or something like that you know if you came to an interview with me then you would essentially have the equivalent of like 60 years of sharepoint experience they've seen it all right um and you know, so much to know that they've seen it all, that they know what they're good at and what they're not good at, right? And they would be transparent and honest about it. So there are things about SharePoint that I've rarely done, and there are things in SharePoint that I've done to the nth degree, and that's where my skill set is because it's a vast product. But someone coming in telling me that they know absolutely everything. The chances are certainly-
0: Yes, straight away. (laughs)
1: Nobody uh, knows everything indeed and and probably the biggest one I've seen is this one person in particular I can think of they would not back down in their knowledge and they would start arguing about it
0: oh
1: and did you um,
0: literally write the book on SharePoint like <laughs> did you weren't you a co-author on I, on I'm
1: one like of a the a book in 2010 and you know like I say it's yeah like you you're not I, the guy to argue with and I've done solutions <laughs> and things like that so you know, I'm not saying I'm famous in the industry. I'm really not, but you know, a lot of people know who I am, the industry and things like that, because, oh, you know, perfect. you get to be a conference speaker now yeah. again and, <laughs> and stuff like that. So there, there was a heyday. I, I don't know that I'm there now, but, <laughs> but yeah, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the bravado and the, the, uh, the confidence of arguing, whereas really what we're looking for is a level of transparency and honesty, right? So, cause the chances are you haven't done everything yeah. and what we want to know is, can we mold that person to work for us, right? Because you won't, unless you've worked for like Unilever, one of the big four, you know, you know, Rensco initial also has that many employees, although most of them are pest control, <laughs> um, it's, uh, The chances are you won't have worked at the scale that we work at. Yeah. So
0: the big four is just a totally different.
1: Yeah, you're not you. Exactly, right? I
0: feel like that scene in Crocodile Dundee, you know, it's like, that's not a knife, this is a knife. Like, that's not Enterprise, this is Enterprise. (laughs) You know, as
1: you guys are definitely the
0: 8,000 pound gorillas in every room.
1: So yeah and I'm not trying to brag i mean this yeah. is just the, it's yeah. just the reality of what we do in many ways we've moved to Office three six five because working at that scale is hard. We should let Microsoft do it instead it's their product so, um so uh yeah, so people coming into those interviews and saying they know everything and then will not back down uh, so
0: I get asked when I do interview prep on the regular yeah. From- my people, like, well, what do I do when I don't know something? Like, I feel like if I say I don't know, that then they're going to think that I don't know anything about SharePoint. And my advice to them is just be honest and say, I don't know. And then to tell people what you would do to find out um, the answer to that. Is that, am I giving good advice? Like, do you have something that you would say differently? Like, how? what would you tell people on that? I mean, what do you say- want to be-
1: yeah, all of these things are subjective, of course, but, you that's know, that's, that's certainly what I look for, right? So I don't have an expectation that you'd know everything. I have an expectation that you'd know how to work it out, right? Okay. We're now in the world of Google it, right? Sure. Um, uh, Microsoft writes documentation about this kind of stuff. Um, you know, we're close enough with Microsoft that we're, you know, connected to product managers and things like that. So I would have an expectation that, they would if they didn't know they might know a high level version of the technology to maybe guesstimate but then they would be honest about it so you don't i've never worked in that area um you know let's say power app forms or something like that and they knew like the previous version of infopath so you know you might describe how the older technology works and say the new one might work like this and this is where i would then look to confirm my findings sure. um you know if it was really So easy that you knew everything, it would be really easy to hire people, right? Right. (laughs) So, so transparency and honesty, and then, you know, making sure you can, you know, proactively tell people how you would go about working out.
0: So, a big part of what we do at ONH is we do people's resumes. And obviously, that's a big part of any kind of interview process. And, And so, I guess my first question when we, deal with our clients so we explain is that there are three audiences for you that your resume needs to be ready for you've got an ats computer system that's mm-hmm. going to look at everything and um, you've got a recruiter stroke hr <clears throat> component and then you've got the hiring manager and every company kind of plays differently with where those pieces fit together etc so in your instance What, like at what stage do you see the resume? What point does it hit your desk?
1: So there is an HR screening process
0: Mm
1: -hmm. where they look at, you know, what the role and location for the job is, and, you know, confirm that you've got the approximate experience based on the job description. But bear in mind, these people don't necessarily know the specialism of your technology, but so you've got to be really clear on your resume. And you know, almost in many ways. Well, and in many ways, tune your resume to the role so that it becomes very clear because the first point of call, I don't believe they actually do use electronic means to verify these things on our side. They actually have dedicated recruitment teams internally, but a lot of other companies do do that electronic piece as well. But either way, the computer system doesn't know what your skill set is and the specialism for the job title. Um, and neither does the recruiter, you know, cause they're, they're recruiting for the whole company, right? Yeah, From yeah. The janitor all the way up to CXO level, right? In some forms. So in the same way that I can't be no expected to know everything about my specialism, but I need to know how to work it out. They're the same way as well. Right? So it's gotta be really clear because They're looking at the job description, looking at your CV and going yay, no. And then they're also ticking their box about you know, does their salary expectations other than fit within the rank. And at that point, it then gets forwarded to me. I can then review and then I tell the HR people, yes, I want to go and start arranging appointments with these people. This is my availability.
0: So once it does hit your desk, when you get the resume, what is your biggest pet peeve as a hiring manager on a resume? What is the thing that makes you go, oh my God, no.
1: Um massive long lists of technologies uh, with no context around them. okay um
0: the dreaded but, list of you know uh c- technological competencies right at the beginning of the resume that's like half a page long that one the- yeah, <laughs> yeah? And,
1: like, and and you know and by context i don't mean the table that then adds like i've been working in html for 10 years i mean
0: where did you normal- do it
1: yeah, do. it's when yeah. you had how did you apply it, right? So um sure. when there's a lack of quantifiable things about their job descriptions. Um so uh, you know, like did you do fifty percent consultancy? Because I you know the job requires some customer facing piece. If you did fifty percent consultancy work and you did like ten percent development work and forty percent support work, then you should say that. Because that will then say to me that, you know, you have to deep down, deep down technically from a from a support point of view and an implementation point of view. And then the consultancy piece, if you're doing that a lot, then you're clearly customer facing.
0: So when you're talking about quantifiables, like one of the things that I find that my IT clients struggle with on their own a lot of times is how to quantify that. And so the advice that we give and one of the things that we do is we're like, find a way to count it. If that's data, if that's users, if that's instances, if that's nodes, if that's whatever it is, are, is that the kind of quantifiable you're talking about? Or are you wanting them to say. I made a, you know, 50 million dollar cost saving by doing blah
1: um, in. It depends on the role that i So if you're in my yeah. current position, I would care about. uh a the technologies used but the context as to why right i sure. would care about you know so let's say if you come in from a consultancy background i guess i would expect to see numbers of clients number okay. of projects you know maybe the average length of a project um because that tells me the complexity
0: budget because it tells uh, you budget tells the me scale. Complexity
1: yeah. as well um amount of people in your team and then okay. you know and then what role do you play in that team right because no one is a one man wonder when you're doing things at scale, right? I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a one man band in my team. There's actually a team of like 30 people in my SharePoint online team, and I do this part of it, as do my team. So
0: sure, great. So that's what you hate. What do you love? Like when you open a resume for the first time, I know some. Um, <coughs> I've, I've known hiring managers that just go straight to the experience. They don't care. I've known hiring managers that are all about the education and they skip straight to that section. Nobody has ever skipped to the hobbies and interests section as far as I'm aware. But uh, everybody has a favorite section, a favorite part that's where like their heart and mind go to first and foremost. What What's yours on a resume?
1: So I like to see uh, an abstract of what they are looking for at the top. Personal oh,
0: OK. OK.
1: Um, so. I, I, and and this is very contextual right but um very much so that uh if i'm gonna bring an employee into internal it right a i've had to fight for budget in order to get it right because we're not revenue making people right so let's say we got to that point right and and now we're hiring and, and and we're interviewing for it so we've already gone through a battle to get to that point and now I'm essentially measured on the fact that I need to make sure that I'm going to bring someone in that's going to last, right? Because the cost of recruitment is high. So I don't want someone who is likely to just use this as a springboard to something else. Um, but more to the point, and I mean, that's maybe not quite true because they can springboard internally with an EY, right? But because it's a big company.
0: But you want to know but, that they're going to stay, that you're going to get some ROI from
1: that hire. Well, and more to the point that, if i know what their aspirations are then i know whether this role is going to work for them and therefore it's worth my effort in bringing them into the ey mold
0: so that's Um, so interesting because we would normally say that that kind of information you'd put like in a cover letter but do you even get cover letters as a hiring manager
1: yeah i've never seen one
0: so um in general, the trend right now in resumes is to like take that section out. So that's really interesting to hear from a hiring manager that actually you want to put back in, but you want it. It sounds like you want it really specific that you want a you don't want some general waffle about I'm a, you know, outside the box thinker with a great work ethic that you just want to hear, hey, I'm at this stage of my career and this is what I, I want to do.
1: Um, yeah, and you can be generic, right? Like, don't say like I want to be like, you know, exec direct in a year, right? I mean, that's sure. uh, a, not realistic, but also be just, you know. Um, but just your aspirations, right? OK, a- of where you want to be, right? Do you want to go? Do you want to continue being an individual contributor? Or do you want to run a team one day? Um, or do you have an expectation that you manage teams? You want to continue doing that? Just So, you know, is it purely SharePoint that you care about or is it purely or you want a wider, broad set of knowledge? Do you really care about making sure that solutions work for the business? You know, and and things like that. And then once I've got that kind of information, along with the quantifiable pieces, I can then determine whether that's something that's yay or nay. Um, Very rarely is it just me saying yay or nay. There's a consensus going on in my team at the same time because then there's all the scheduling and then there's the time and then anytime I interview someone I've then got to write do a whole big write-up about why they're good or why they're bad so if you've got to the point where I'm asking you to interview I genuinely think that there's potential here
0: so we're almost out of time um, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate that you have a lot to do so I I don't want to keep you too long So one last question. And um, as I say, the last step's a doozy. (laughs) So apologies in advance. Um, 2020, one of the hot buttons in all things, uh, recruitment and work is diversity and inclusion. And you, my friends, have the dubious honor in working in the whitest of the white male (laughs) uh, sectors uh, of IT. So my question about that is, What, as a hiring manager, and you don't have to say what you personally do, but what do you think is, what is the obligation of hiring managers in general in that sector? Um, What should you be doing? What are you doing to try to get new voices at the table?
1: Sure. So, first off, I mean, EY in particular is very focused on diversity and inclusiveness, um so you know, like every time I have some kind of HR meeting or something like that, it is this is what we care about, right? And that and that covers covers from race, you know, whatever however all the GNI categories. Right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So race, gender, whatever. Yep. So um and uh, I believe that EY is very vocal on that point in many ways. So there's always that kind of internal pressure from that point of view. Um now i also want different perspectives
0: okay
1: so i actively want people coming from different areas and different locations and you know different diverse groups and things like that because they will bring something new and diverse to the team
0: it's because the
1: they are they are yeah out of the box thinkers they are interacting with those people because you know we have the employees which you know is larger than many populations of a country right so every single flavor or whatever you can think of EY has and we have to evangelize to those people in my team so I actively look for those things um and you know that kind of based on what the HR direction of the company direction is as well as my need for you know, different types of people to work with different types of people. Um, I'm actively looking for it, but that's assuming I get the applications in the first place. <laughs> and so is we that very like, yes, uh, I, you know, I often don't even get the choice. Like, yeah, I'm just left with the stereotypes that you're talking about.
0: So why, Where's where do you think the disconnect is? Like, why are you? Why do you think, just in your own opinion, that that's happening, and and what either as a, you know, industry, <clears throat> uh, as recruiters, do we need to do differently as hiring managers? What needs to change to suddenly see a, some some real diversity in that pool?
1: You know, it, it's becoming a pretty standard thing in many companies to be that way in thinking. Um, so I I wonder if there's a lack of application. Um, it, it it there's an education piece to it as well because I may want to be the have the most diverse team that I can get, but I need to have the experience too.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: really hire junior junior people like I sure. I mid to hire people in my team because we're a very small team with a special skill set. It needs that experience behind it as well. So. But we also hire all around the world. Like I have, I, I have someone who reports to me in Argentina. I have someone who reports to me in the UK. Yeah. Um. You know, in my team, I'm the only one in the US. <laughs> so I also speak to people in India and, and and all around the world. I do. So. Um, uh, yeah. So you, so you feel, feel like, like the, the I just, I just I guess it's the problem
0: just, is a couple of steps lower. There's about yeah. there's a opportunity misfire somewhere that we need to get more voices in at this level, so that then when they get to this level, you're ready to hire them here, but they just need to to get across your desk. So what I heard from that is an open call for recruiters to, to send you different voices that you're excited and you're ready to see those. And that in the meantime, that the work needs to happen to make sure that we have better access to the education and opportunities kind of at this level here so that we can have the experience To be at the table higher up. Is that that, a good summary of
1: what you're saying? Yeah, and just and just remember that everyone can are are empowered to do things themselves, right? So, you know, especially in the technology space, there's you can user-generated content, right? YouTube's all sorts of stuff, right? You you can put yourself out there. So I don't just look at people's resumes, I look at their LinkedIn profile you know I, I i search this kind of stuff because i want to know the kind of person i'm hiring not that i'm trying to catch someone out i don't care about your facebook and you know what you did christmas last year or whatever but sure um you know i i, I want to have a good understanding of your professional life so
0: you're on their github uh, on their linkedin on yeah, their so Slack tweet, me, whatever.
1: you would yeah, find yeah. my blog probably um, you would find the book that i wrote at one point I hated writing it, but it was, it was cool (laughs) as an output, you know, I did some solutions and made them open source and things like that as well. If you search for my name, there is no doubt that I work in SharePoint. (laughs) And then when I go and interview for other people, then I assume, and certainly have found that they also search and look for the same thing. And sure, it's about brands and creating that Mm image, cool.
0: Well, Giles, we really, really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your experience and um, everything. It's been fantastic talking to you. Um, Thank you very much, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Uh, If anybody wants to contact Giles, he'll be linked to this, so you can reach him on LinkedIn. Or reach out through us if you want help with any of the things that Jai recommended. ONH has all of the resume writing, personal branding, and LinkedIn help uh, you could possibly hope for all available. Hope to hear from you all soon. Thanks again, Giles. Um, Thanks for having me. Say bye. Bye. You've been listening to Hey, I Want Your Job. For more on how you can get your own awesome job, Visit O&H Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more insider info. Soon you'll be hearing us say, I'm Morgan McBride, and I want your job. And I'm Lydia Lunning, and I want your job. And I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.